0: Thanks for joining us here on site for worship and online for worship as well. Um, I got to say, I'm happy to be back. I'm happy to be back. We've been out of town. Thank you, ladies. Appreciate it. Um, We've been out of town for the last two weeks in North Carolina on a family vacation. Uh, It was awesome, man. We had great weather. I got to do like an obstacle course adventure park kind of thing. That that was crazy. It was really fun. I got to see my cousin, Sarah, who lives out in Los Angeles. She came on vacation. So just an all around, all around awesome time. Um, actually, you know what? Before I describe anything else, if you want to feel like you were there, like you want to just be immersed in what it was like to be on vacation, just go to my wife's Facebook page. I think she recorded Every single thing that we did via picture. There's like 700 pictures on there right now. So you can feel like you were there with us. Um, but for real, it, it, was, it was just a blast. Now that I'm coming back to the real world, I was just talking with uh, some people about this before service. Uh, now I'm having that like panic moment where you feel like you need another vacation because you start getting all the emails and all the texts and you realize like, oh yeah, there's real life now. <laughs> like I gotta get back to all this. But let me tell you, it was so fun, so restful, so recharging, and I want to say thank you to everybody for praying that we would have you know safe travels and a good time down there. We did, we did. God heard your prayers. It was an awesome time, so thank you again for that. But man, I am I am excited to be back uh, for part three of this series, talking elephants and tipping cows. Who's enjoyed the first two weeks of this series? It's been good stuff, right? Um, So uh, what we're doing, let me just, if you haven't been with us, just give a little primer of what we're doing throughout this six-week teaching series. We're talking about the elephant in the room right? The, the, the stuff, the topics, the, the, the things that we try to avoid in the church, or maybe we just kind of hit it real quick and hit it in a very churchy way, and then we just move on from it and act like nothing else happened, right? We're talking about those things, um, and that's what we've been looking at the first two weeks of this series. We're talking about elephants in the room, and in the process, we may tip a sacred cow or two, right? Like that, that may happen, and it has been happening. So week one, Uh, Since I was going to be 600 miles away, I told Pastor Donnie if he would please preach on politics, because that's a real just softball for him, right? Um, But he he did fantastic. We talked about uh, what politics and what political engagement is supposed to look like from a Christian, someone who's a Christ follower, someone who follows a king already. What does it look like for us to engage in politics? So that was week one of this series. Uh, Week two, I pre-recorded a a sermon. We talked about hell. Uh, We talked about what... Uh, it was kind of like a Q and A kind of format of a sermon, um, and so we talked about hell. Uh, we talked about the top ten questions that we have regarding hell, and you know, is it is it real, and is it eternal, and is it conscious? You know, is it, is it fire and just all the different questions that people have around hell? We talked about those last week. Uh, and today, um, if it wasn't, if those topics weren't soupy, or, uh, super light and easygoing, um, we're going to get even more into it today. But real quick, before we get into today's topic, I just want to remind you why this setup is happening. Normally, it's not what the stage looks like. All right, normally we've got the podium up here and stuff. But for this series, we've got the chairs because what we're wanting you to imagine. As we preach these every single week, what we want to imagine is that you're sitting up here. Because we're not preaching at you this series. That's not what's happening. This is a discussion. We're not building a platform. This series, I cannot stress this enough, this series is not talking about where Cornerstone stands on all these topics. I don't care about that. I don't care about a stance. I care about a discussion. And what we're going to be talking about is a discussion about topics that can feel unsafe to talk about. Right? Right? about things that can feel kind of touchy and off limits. This is not a preaching at series, this is a talking with series. We are not building a platform, we're having a discussion. And we're gonna have a discussion today about a very difficult topic, pain, suffering, tragedy. These are hard things to talk about, especially because I know for a fact, because I I know my church, there are people in this room, there are people watching us online today who it's not theoretical to talk about pain and tragedy and loss and suffering. It's very real. They're going through it right now. They're experiencing it, whether it's the loss of a loved one, whether it's a a bad diagnosis, um, whether it is the loss of a job, they're in the middle of it. And so today we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it and see what Scripture has to tell us as we deal with pain, loss, and suffering. If you're a note taker, today's title for our sermon is When Everything Hurts. When everything hurts. Um, And the pain we're talking about today is real pain. We're not talking about you got stuck in traffic, pain. (laughs) We're we're not talking about it rained before you got to mow, pain, right? Like Nothing like that. What we're talking about is real pain, real loss, real tragedy. We're talking about the loss of a child. We're talking about a, a leukemia diagnosis. We're talking about things like Uvalde and Buffalo, and these shootings that have been happening seemingly every other day in our country over the last month. We're talking about these things, and typically, um, typically, it can, it can be easy for churches, uh, great churches and poor churches alike, it can be very easy for us to, on topics like this, have a very high-level churchy discussion about it, and then move on from it. Because we don't really want to deal with it. Right. We don't really want to talk about it. And this is what I would say for some of us. That may be a good thing. (laughs) It may be a good thing because this is what I want to say from the onset. If your natural response to some of these things happening um, in our country or, you know, within within your friend group are, well, they had it coming. I mean, they had it coming. Or your, your response to some of these things like these shootings are, well, that's, that's God's judgment on our country because of where we've been going down and what we've been doing. If, if those are like your knee-jerk reaction to these things, maybe it is best for you to avoid these discussions. I'm just going to say it. Maybe it is best for you to not say anything because those are not helpful. <laughs> not helpful and not accurate, right? They're, they're not helpful and they're not accurate. So maybe you should avoid the topic. But, and this is, this is so important but if you are someone who doesn't want to make a point, right, everyone wants to make a point, right? Everyone gets up behind the keyboard and feels like a, a, a big man, big, strong man on, on the keyboard and make it a point on my Facebook page. If you want to make a point, go right ahead. But if you want to make a difference and actually talk about these things intelligently and biblically, that's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about these things and look at pain and loss and suffering from a biblical standpoint and actually address this with care. So you guys Ready? Ready? All right, let's, let's hop in today. We will get into this. Now, what we're talking about today is commonly called the problem of evil. Has anyone ever heard that term before anybody online in the chat, the problem of evil? Um, if you've ever taken a philosophy class, like philosophy 101, they will talk about this. The problem of evil is actually the most, uh, uh, the most often cited and the oldest objection to the Christian faith. The problem of evil. Let me sum it up for you. This is this is the basic gist behind the problem of evil, um, and the problem goes like this. Okay, how can Christians address this fact that Christians would say there is evil, pain, loss, and tragedy in the world that that all exists, but how do you reconcile that all that exists if also existing is an all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving God? All right, that's that's the that's the gist of the question. How in the world can Uvalde happen if there's a God who knew it was going to happen, who loves the people who died and was powerful enough to stop it? Like, how, how do those two things coexist together? And it's a, it's a good question, right? It's a good question. It's a reason it's the oldest objection to the Christian faith and the most often cited. In fact, it's uh, the oldest book in Scripture, the book of Job, deals with this very issue. Why do bad things happen? How do we reconcile bad things happening, tragedies happening? So we're going to kind of work from easiest answers to hardest, okay? So the easiest way to answer this and to think about it is, um, first off, um, it makes sense that bad things and tragedy and loss and suffering happen in our world. Uh, Firstly, because we live in a fallen world. Like, I don't think think that's up for debate. I think atheists and Christians alike can be like, amen, (laughs) right? Like, yeah, our world is fallen. um, Like the natural state of the world is fallen. Listen to this. This is the book of Romans. This is the apostle Paul writing in the book of Romans chapter uh, eight, verses 20 through 22. Paul says against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we all know that creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Did you hear that? Not just mankind, creation itself is subjected to the curse, to the fall, to sin entering the world. We so often just think of it as something that affected mankind, which it absolutely did, but sin and death affected everything. Our, our, our universe now has an end. Our universe is dying Everything is dying. Everything is coming to an end because sin and death entered the picture. And when it did, it introduced sin and death and decay even to creation itself. So sure, some, some of the pain and suffering and loss and tragedy in the world, we can just chalk it up to, hey, we, we live in a fallen world now. Sin or uh, illness, sickness, diseases, death, all of these things, even, even natural tragedies, even natural disasters are a result of Sin. Even natural disasters are a result of sin entering the picture. Did you know that's actually why Jesus performed miracles? It's one of the biggest reasons. Of course, Jesus did it to, to, to care for people. Of course, Jesus did it to prove to people that he was who he said he was. But do you know that the biggest reason Jesus performed miracles was to show that he had power over sin and over the effects of sin? Like, you all are aware that Lazarus did die again, right? Like, ain't some dude running around the Middle East, 2,052 years old. Like, he, he died again. <laughs> so, so, like, what's the point? Like, why did Jesus raise him from the dead if he's just going to die again down the road? Jesus was doing this. It's the same reason Jesus calmed the seas, the, the natural state of things. It's why Jesus healed the blind and the lame and the sick. It's why he raised the dead to say, hey, look, all of these things are symptoms of the root cause. Death, uh, the natural disasters, sickness, illness, this is all symptoms of the main root cause, sin. And if I can take care of these, I can take care of that. That's the main point of Jesus' miracles is to show that he had authority to fix the real problem, sin. Sin entered the world, and it didn't just affect us. It affected creation itself. So that's one aspect. Creation has just fallen, and so, of course, there's sickness and pain in the world, and it stinks, but that's just how it is. The other side is that we have free will. Like, mankind has free will. That's that's not a a shocking or controversial statement. God has given us free will and choice to be able to choose him, to choose life, or to choose death. Um, Listen to how it's worded in the book of Judges. If this doesn't describe our current state of things today, um, I don't know what does. This is from the book of Judges 21, uh, verse 25. In those days Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. You hear that? All people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. If that doesn't describe us today, I don't know what does. Everyone just does what they feel is right. God has given us free will. And when sin entered the picture, it didn't just corrupt creation, it corrupted us. And so with our free will, we can do things that do not glorify God and do not make us live up to what we were created to do, but actually harm people and harm ourselves. We can make those choices and people sadly make those choices every single day. So like I said, those are kind of the easy answers, right? The easy answer is that, well, there's evil in the world because the world's fallen. There's evil in the world because people can be evil. There you go. That's it, right? That's kind of easy, but not everything is that easy. Not everything can be that quickly dismissed. You see, there are a lot of situations, and I guarantee there's people in this room, again, like I said earlier, people watching online, who you're going through a situation that can't be that easily dismissed. You're like, yeah, I get all that. I get that, you know, there's pain and suffering in the world because of the natural fall and order of things and because of people's evilness. But man, I, I still don't get how God could allow this to happen to me. I don't, I don't get how God could allow my marriage to fall apart. I don't get how God could allow this to happen at my work. I don't get how God could allow my house to be taken away. I don't get how any of these things would still be able to happen. I've been trying my hardest. I've been trying to honor God, and it just feels like everything is falling Apart, Why didn't he intervene? And this is, this is what I want to say whenever it comes to that. Um, when someone is suffering, if you know someone who's suffering, you've got friends, family, someone who's suffering, sometimes the best answer to their questions of why, when someone's suffering, sometimes the best answer isn't an answer. Just, I don't know. <laughs> sometimes that's the most holy and godly thing you can ever say to somebody is, I don't know. I don't know why that happened. I don't know why you're going through this. Sometimes the best answer isn't an answer. Um, pastor Levi Lusco, he's a pastor at Fresh Life, uh, Fresh Life Church. They're based out of Montana. Amazing guy, amazing preacher and pastor. Um, his family, I believe it was back in 2014, um, they were getting ready for Christmas. It was December 22nd. They're wrapping presents around the Christmas tree. Um, his little girl, Lenya, she's five years old, started having an asthma attack progressed, got worse, and within minutes, she was dead. Think about that for a moment. Like, don't don't try to block it out because you've got little kids or anything like that, and you just don't want to think about it. Really think about that for a second. This guy's five-year-old daughter had an asthma attack, died in her parents' arms while they're wrapping Christmas presents three days before Christmas. Like, why? One answer is there for that. (laughs) What answer can you give in that moment? I don't know. I don't know. And that sometimes, in fact, most of the time is the most holy and accurate answer we can give because we don't. We don't know. We don't know why there's a lot of pain and tragedy and suffering. Sure, some of it can be easily explained. Sure, some of it can be easily, oh, it's because of this or that. But there's a lot of it that we look at that and we go, well, if God is all powerful, if he is all loving, if he is all knowing, why didn't he prevent this? And the best we can say is, I don't know. I don't know why he did that. I don't know why that happened. That being said, what I want us to look at in the remaining time that we have together are the things we can know. Because I don't want this to be a big shrug fest where it's says, oh, I don't know. <laughs> we don't know. There's nothing that we can know. No, there are things that we can know. There are things that scripture points to, that God points to in his word, that we can look at and we can take for ourselves whether we are getting ready to go into a, pain, a season of pain and loss, we're in the middle of a season of pain and loss, or we're coming out of a season of pain and loss. We can hold on to these truths and we can build on them and they will not fail us. So that's what we're going to do in the remaining moments that we have together. Not trite talking points, right? Not things that sound good and look good as a caption on Instagram, but they don't actually work in your life. These are actual truths from scripture that we can build on. So the first one that I want us to look at is this idea that our pain, <clears throat> our pain can be great and our God can be good. Like, those two things can and often do coexist at the exact same time. It's not and or, that is a dumb dichotomy. That's a a stupid separation to make. God can be great and our pain, or God can be good and our pain can be great. Those two things can coexist. They do coexist a lot as a matter of fact. In fact, I would say that your and my definition of what is good is terrible, (laughs) We're, we're not good at defining good. Like we, we have changing definitions for what is good depending on how we're feeling that day, depending on how old we are, depending on how people talk to us that day. Our idea of what's good changes all the time. It, like if I'm sore, that's not good. I don't like to be sore unless I'm sore after workout, then it is good because I'm like, ooh, good. I know that I actually like worked out enough that I actually feel it, right? Our definitions are constantly, constantly changing. So it's better for us to trust God's definition of good than my definition of good. I don't want something that's constantly changing to build on. That's, that's a shaky foundation. I want something solid. I want something that will stand the test. And God's definition of what is good will stand the test. Mine will not. <laughs> right? Mine will not. God gets to define what is good. So that means our pain can be great and God can be good, And because that's true, that means that my pain and your pain doesn't get to be an indictment on God. Like it just doesn't. My pain doesn't get to indict God and go, okay, I'm going through pain and loss and suffering, so you're not good. <laughs> I'm going through some stuff right now that I thought you wouldn't allow to happen to me, so now you're not as like, loving as I thought you were. That's not how it is. My pain is not an indictment on God. I remember growing up watching like all the Disney Channel original movies on TV and all those Disney Channel series, and like you relate to the kids so much because you are a kid, right? You watch and you're watching like, man, those parents are jerks. Just let Timmy go to the conference. Like, what are you trying to, why are you trying to stop him? This is so messed up. You, you like completely relate to the kid. Now that I'm older, I watch like all those movies I used to watch. Like, I watch The Sandlot, and I watch all these movies, like, man, these kids are brats. Like, someone needs to smack them upside the backside of the head, knock some sense into them, like, right? You start, you start identifying with the parent. And it's so funny, because whenever you were littler, you identify with the kids and their pain and their struggle. You're like, oh, man, I just, oh, I feel it. Like, I feel what they're going through. And you get older, and you're like, man, suck it up. Like, I don't know what to, I don't know what to tell you. And you start relating to the parents, right? And so the, the, the pain that the kids are going through, it doesn't mean that it's not real anymore as you're watching these things, but you're suddenly realizing, oh, it's not an indictment that they're like bad parents, that they don't know what they're doing, that they don't actually love their kids. You have a different angle on it. And the same is true with us in a such greater way when it comes to our relationship with God. My pain is not an indictment on him. I don't have his vantage point. My pain, thy suffering, my tragedies that I go through are not an indictment on how good God is. In fact, I would would wager one of the most important decisions any Christian can ever make. It's it's after you accept Jesus as your king, you make Jesus your king, um, and then, you know, like choosing a spouse outside of those things is probably the best decision you'll ever make in your life. A one-time decision to admit that God is good and just be done with it. To just knowingly say, you know what, God, I'm getting ready to embark on the rest of my life. I have no idea what's coming my way. None. I have no idea what deaths are coming my way, what losses, what job changes, what stuff's happening with my finances. I have no clue. But what I am saying right now before I enter into any of that is that I know you're good. I know it. I know you're good, and I'm gonna believe that as I walk into all these seasons. And so every that I encounter is going to be filtered through that and seen through that lens. That's one of the best decisions you will ever make. It's a game changer. Can we just declare it together real quick? God is good. One more time. God is good. Because he is. He is good. And you need to make that one-time decision and not be questioning it with every high and low of your life. Oh, well, this didn't work out the way I thought. God, are you really there? God, are you really good? Yeah. Yeah. He is. Don't question that. You can question other stuff, but don't don't worry about questioning that. That's something that you can build on. Don't question the stuff that that you don't need to. (laughs) There's enough in life that's uncertain. That's not one of them. God is good, and our pain is not an indictment on God. But to be able to admit that, to be able to say that and believe that for the rest of your life, it comes with needing to admit something. And the admission that we all need to make is that God is playing chess while we're playing checkers. We don't... <laughs> We will say that we, we kind of believe it. But then whenever life starts playing out, we're like, God, let me help you out a little bit. You might want to move the king over here and take the pawn over there. Like we, we feel like we're giving him some advice on how things could be better. But man, the fact is we're playing checkers. We don't know. It's like, like me, if you ever see me sitting down at a cracker barrel, getting ready to like dominate at the little, the big board, you know, by the fireplace, the checkers board. You ever see me sitting down getting ready to play? I am at most thinking one move ahead. That's that's the best I got in me, right? Like I am I am sitting there praying to God that they move their piece right here because that's all I know what to do with. If they move it somewhere else, I'm like, uh, I don't know, I don't know where to go. On the flip side, has anyone ever played chess before? anybody anybody online? Okay, those are all the smarter people in the room. Through <laughs> for sure, are smarter than me. Chess has always been over my head. I've tried to learn it before, and it was not happening. It just wasn't happening. Um, And people who are good at chess can actually think a few moves ahead, like maybe two, maybe three, where like regardless, if if you make any of these moves, they're they're already planning for it. They've got you. A chess grandmaster, it's an actual title, someone who's a chess grandmaster is able to regularly think about fifteen to twenty moves ahead. That's nuts. Like, whatever you think about that, because it's not even just that they're thinking about the one move. They're able to think and analyze how that move affects the rest of the board in play. 15 to 20 moves ahead. Meanwhile, I'm over here sucking my thumb trying to figure out my next move at checkers at Cracker Barrel, right? Like, it's, <laughs> we're, we're not in the same universe, like, They're so far and so different than me, and I think about that, and then I read what Paul writes in Romans chapter 11. Listen to this. Listen to how Paul describes God's wisdom, starting in verse 33. Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. Did you catch that word? Not how hard is it, not how difficult, how impossible it is for us to understand His decisions and his ways for who can know the Lord's thoughts, who knows enough to give God advice and who has given God so much that he needs to pay it back for everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory, all glory to him forever. Amen. You see, that's, that's the lay of the land. That's the situation on the ground. God is playing chess and I'm playing checkers. He is seeing things. He's seeing moves that I have no idea about. Especially, now here's where I really want you to listen ahead. On your best day, you're thinking one move ahead. That's your best day. That's when the sun is shining. You're feeling good. Everything's just hitting right. That coffee was great this morning. Your best day, you're thinking one move ahead. When you are in the middle of pain, Tragedy, loss, suffering—you're not thinking about nothing else, nothing else. If you've ever stubbed your toe, if you've ever stepped on a Lego, my word, how bad it hurts! If you've ever, if you've ever had any of those moments, it's—you can't not be in that moment. Like you stub your toe. All you can think about is not losing your religion in that moment and saying something unforgivable. <laughs> like, that's, that's the only thing you can think about when you stub your toe, because that's how pain works. It's instant, and it creates a moment that you feel like you can't escape, right? That's how pain works. And so on your best day, you're, you're one step ahead. In the middle of pain, loss, tragedy, and suffering, you're nowhere but that. And you can be stuck in that moment for days, weeks, months. And that's just where you're at. And you need to realize that. You need to know that before you go in to realize, you know what? I've, I've got to be careful with the decisions I make. I've got to be careful who I run to in my grief, who I run to in my anger, because I am so consumed in this moment. I can't see anything else You need to admit that you are playing checkers while God is playing chess and say, God, I'm going to trust you then. In the middle of my pain, in the middle of my suffering, in the middle of all this, I'm going to trust you and trust the fact that I may be stuck in this moment, but I know you're in every moment. I know you already know how this is going to play out. And even though all I can feel is pain, I can trust the fact that you are going to use this. So the question is do you trust Him? Do you trust Him? Do you trust that there is more going on than you see? Because if that is true, if it's true that there is more going on behind even the worst day you'll ever experience, if that is true, that is the ultimate comfort you'll ever receive. That even my darkest day has something that can come out of it. That even in my darkest moments, God can work something out of it. Think about the fact that God can use anything to bring purpose to everything. Isn't that mind-blowing that that's the kind of God that we serve a God who can use anything to bring purpose out of everything. He can use anything that we go through, anything that we deal with, any suffering, any pain, any tragedy, none of it ever has to be pointless. Ever. It can all be used for purpose. It can all be purpose-filled. Listen to this. This is from Genesis chapter 50, verses 19 through 20. I don't have time to read through the entire backstory, but this is uh, uh, Joseph, a man who uh, at a young age was sold into slavery by his brothers. His brothers hated him, had hatred and jealousy for him, sold him into slavery. uh, Joseph's life went like up and down, up and down, up and down from this moment on. He's in slavery But then starts to rise to power, then gets thrown in prison, rises to power again. It's just like ups and downs, mountains and valleys over and over and over again. And here towards uh, where we pick up here in Genesis chapter 50... Joseph has reached a place of power and prestige, and his brothers come to him looking for help. They realize, holy cow, this is Joseph. This is our brother who we tried to have killed, who we sold into slavery. They're terrified he's going to do something to them. He's going to use his power to kill them, to put them in slavery. And this is what Joseph says instead, verse 19. But Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? See, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people. Basically, you know what Joseph just said? <laughs> Guys, hey, look, don't, don't worry about it. You see, you, you were playing checkers, <laughs> but God's been playing chess. You, you thought, you, you were thinking one move ahead. You had no idea what God was up to, though. You were just living in that moment. God has been living in every moment. He saw exactly how he was going to use that act of evil and use it for good. And even though I didn't see it in the moment, I chose to trust him with the unknown, and this is what it's led to. And that's the same decision that you and I can make today, to believe that God can use anything to bring purpose to everything. He can use even the worst moments of your life. I've experienced this. I know this to be true in my own life. I've I've experienced... um, this is a truism of life. You will learn more about yourself and about God in the valley than on the mountain. Every single time. You can count on it. The mountaintop moments, we think that it would be fun to just go from mountaintop moment to mountaintop moment. You don't want to be that person that you would be at the end of that. You want the person who is forged in the valley, and that's the only place that you learn certain things about yourself and certain things about God. My, my dad's death is Probably um, the most, like, defining moment of my life in what felt like a negative way at the beginning, right? Um, he, he died I, uh, whenever I was 31. And so I'm like, man, if I, if I live a long life, I'm now going to live, like, two-thirds of my life longer without my dad than with him. And we hadn't had Griffin yet. And so I'm like, man, he's going to miss... Uh, meeting his grandson. There's just all these things that I'm thinking about that are like hard and difficult and tragic. And I'm just thinking about the loss. Um, But as time has gone on and as I look back on it now, of course, of course, I wish my dad was alive. Like, of course, I, I wish that. But I see the purpose that's come out of it. And I see the things that I've learned about myself that I would have not learned any other way. I see the things I've learned about God and his goodness and his faithfulness and the way that he's a provider. I've started to realize God is Father in a way I never have before. All of these things are things that I wouldn't have experienced if it wasn't walking through the valley, if it wasn't for the pain and the loss and the tragedy. We learn far more about ourselves in the valley than we do on the mountain. There can be purpose in our pain. And we see that riddled through the pages of Scripture. Pretty much the entire book of Psalms is one mountaintop moment, one valley moment, one mountaintop moment, one valley moment. David talking about God is exalting me and he's doing all these great things. And he's blessing my family. I love God. And then the very next one, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are my enemies surrounding me? I, I feel like a dead man. Like that's what it is. That's what the book of Psalms is over and over. It's mountaintop to valley, mountaintop to valley. But what you will see is that in all of those valley moments, you see David reflecting on himself and reflecting on God in such profound, deep ways. And he learns things about himself and about God and about God's faithfulness in those valleys that he doesn't see on the mountaintop moments. Right. You see it in all of those Psalms. In fact, you don't even know. If you're, if you're someone who you started a, a Bible plan at the beginning of the year, and you're like, this is gonna be a year, 2022, I'm gonna read the Bible. And then you hit Leviticus and you're like... I'm out. I'll see you in 2023. (laughs) We'll try. Better luck next year, right? Um, If that's you and you're like, you haven't been touching the Bible, can I encourage you to jump back in in the book of Psalms? It's something the early church did. Uh, The early church, the church we read about in the book of Acts and the, the, the days of the early church fathers in the 100s and the 200s, that's what they would use, the book of Psalms. They would pray the book of Psalms. They would sing the book of Psalms. They would worship the book of Psalms. It's such good stuff in there. And I would encourage you to get in there, especially if you are dealing with pain, loss, tragedy, and suffering. There is so much that I know God wants to speak to you from that book if you will read it, if you will take time to dive into it. Because we see David's example in that book about how in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our suffering, and our loss, and our tragedy, God can bring purpose out of it. He can bring purpose out of it. He can bring purpose out of our pain. And probably the best thing about that, um, I can't even point to one specific psalm or one specific verse, but it's just the overarching narrative of the whole book of psalms that's so important and so powerful. It's what I want us to end on today is the thought that prayer can pull purpose out of our pain more than anything else. That's really what the book of psalms is. It's a book of prayer of prayer to God, of worship to God, but it's all talking with God. And if that's where you are today, you're in the middle of pain, suffering, loss, and I know we've got some people going through it in our church right now. If that's you, there's nothing better you can do than prayer. And I know it sounds like so cliche, of course. The two answers for everything in a church are Jesus and prayer, right? Like, it's Jesus and prayer, Jesus and prayer, but it's true, It's true, there is nothing better you can do than run to God when everything hurts in prayer. I'm going to ask the worship team if they would come back up on stage. Um, As they do, I just want us to kind of end on this one note, um, thinking about what we were talking about at the beginning, the problem of evil. Like, why, why does God allow these things to happen? And you may be asking that very question in your own life. You may be thinking to yourself, okay, God, why have you allowed me to lose my job? Why have you allowed us to be on the verge of losing our house? Why have you allowed this sickness to ravage my family? Why have you allowed this person to take advantage of us? Why, why, why? And that's the essence of the problem of evil. Why? Why is there evil in our world? If there's an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving God, why can pain and tragedy happen? Not to just general people, but to me, Why can this happen? I'm trying to follow God as good as I can. Pastor Brenda can tell you, too. I I talk to people constantly who this is the question they have. Like, I just don't get why this is happening to me. I don't get why this bad thing could happen. I'm trying to follow God as good as I can. What I want to say to you, it's not your job to answer why bad things can occur. Your job as a follower of Jesus Christ is not to answer why bad things occur, but how bad things can be overcome. That's your job. That's my job. That's what we're supposed to do. Not give people awesome explanations where they go, oh, bravo. Very articulate. Very good point. Thank you for telling me why these things occur. No, our job is to model through our love and through our life how bad things happen but can be overcome. Do you want to know? Back whenever there was that uh, Amish schoolhouse shooting, do you guys remember that? Back I think 2012. It's been about 10 years now. There was that gunman went to that Amish schoolhouse in Pennsylvania, elementary schoolhouse, blockaded the door and just started shooting kids indiscriminately. Do you know how many people remember like the 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 why explanations that were spouted off on the news during the next day? where he had people coming on trying to give an explanation of why this happened and why this happened. I guarantee you there's no one who can remember the whys that were given, why this evil occurred. But everyone remember how it was overcome and that the families, the mothers and the fathers of the killed children, how they showed up for the shooter's family How they offered him forgiveness, surrounded the shooter's mom with love, made meals for him, prayed for him, went to their house. That's what people remember, and that's what the world looked at and was like, how? How How are you doing this? How are you able to do this? What they did is they modeled how evil can be overcome. They didn't have an answer for why it happens. They didn't have an answer for why God allowed that to happen. But they showed how, when this stuff goes down, how we can be the light of Christ in the middle of it. And the same thing can happen for you because I want to tell you, you got people watching you. You may not know it, but you have influence. You've been given influence. People are watching you. And as you navigate the pain, the loss, and the tragedies in your life, people are taking note of how you overcome it. Overcome it well. Let me pray for you real quick. Heavenly Father, I know we have people in this room, we have people watching online today who are going through it. Today's talk was not theoretical, it was very practical. They're dealing with some stuff today, God, and what I pray is that in the middle of these moments that they may not be having an answer, but that they would have your peace, they would have your presence, they would have your comfort. And God, for the rest of us who aren't, in a season of loss or pain or tragedy right now, God, I I ask that you would help us remember your truth today, that this wouldn't just be a sermon we heard one June back in 2022, but this would be things that we actually apply in our life and we start building on so that when our time comes for pain and loss and tragedy, which we know it will, we'll be ready to handle it. And no, we may not be able to give a reason and an explanation for why this thing has occurred but we sure will be able to give an example of how we will overcome it through you. God, we declare today that when everything hurts, we're gonna run to the only place we should, to you. We love you, Father, and we pray all this in your name. Amen. Well, that's all for this week. Thanks again for joining us. If you'd like to contact us or find out more about our ministry, head over to our website at cornerstonechurch.info. Have a great week.